one of the one of the video clips that I know that my generation can relate to, perhaps my kids, but I don't know about after that, is uh, this video clip on trust. Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown. I can't believe it. She must think I'm the most stupid person alive. Charlie Brown, I'll hold the ball and you kick it. Hold it? Ha! You'll pull it away and I'll land flat on my back and kill myself. But Charlie Brown, it's Thanksgiving. What's that got to do with anything? Well, one of the greatest traditions we have is the Thanksgiving Day football game. And the biggest, most important tradition of all is the kicking off of the football. Is that right? Absolutely. Come on, Charlie Brown. It's a big honor for you. Well, if it's that important, a person should never turn down a big honor. Maybe I should do it. Besides, she wouldn't try to trick me on a traditional holiday. It's time I'm gonna kick that football clear to the moon! Run! Isn't it peculiar, Charlie Brown, how some traditions just slowly fade away? If you're a first or second time guest with us this morning or watching on Facebook, we're really glad that you're here and watching because today we are continuing a series, I say based on the book, The Church God Blesses by Jim Cimbala, but we haven't even gotten into the book yet. The last couple weeks, or last week and the week before, we've been talking about the life that God blesses. I love, I love days like this. Let me say this because it's what I'm going to end with. God doesn't need your money. He wants your obedience doesn't need your money. He wants your obedience. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Last week we talked about blessing through obedience and we gave you some steps on how to live a blessed life. I want to look at one more way that you can be blessed and then next week we're going to start looking at how this affects the church as a whole. Most of you know I was raised in a Christian home my entire life. However, I like most of you had to learn to trust God. I did. It didn't just come automatic for me. I don't think it does for any of us since the fall of man. Correct? Still silence. I'm hoping to get at least one amen during this entire sermon. I think after all of the years that I've walked with God, I think I'm in a better place now than I've ever been. And really, shouldn't we all be moving forward with God, right, in our relationship with Him? Building our trust isn't that what happens in a marriage? Our trust is being built over years. But for a long time, I looked at God like Lucy in our video clip this morning. I wasn't sure I could trust him. In fact, when I felt like the bottom was falling out of my life, I didn't even know if he, I didn't even believe he even cared about me. So why would I trust someone 
that I didn't think even cared about me. And the only alternative, the only alternative action that we have when we don't trust is to control our own life. Right? It's control. Lack of trust means lots of control. Maybe to some people growing up, it looked like I surrendered my will to his will, but I didn't. When I needed more money, I immediately stopped tithing and I started working more hours at work. When I needed a new car, I didn't pray about it. I just went into debt for a car that I could not make payments on and didn't figure that out for like two months in. The only way I could make the payments on my car was to stop giving to God and stop giving to others. When I didn't trust him to protect my kids, I would freak out and I acted like an idiot. Do you know what I was doing? I was believing a lie straight out of the pit of hell. And I allowed the enemy to undermine my faith in God to the point that I doubted that my God had my best interest in mind. That's where I was. I actually believed at one point in my life that God did not want me to be happy. And that he would take away things in my life just to make me miserable. I have news for you. If you're feeling that way this morning, I have news for you. I don't serve that false God anymore. Hallelujah. I don't serve that false God anymore. And one of the reasons that I trust God more today than I ever did is because of his never-ending faithfulness to me. When I look back, I can see that he proved to me that he is always faithful. And I also have changed and, and grown in my trust in God because of so many promises in his word like Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, this verse keeps popping up in our sermons this year. So I'm wondering if God is trying to get this to stick with some of you. It keeps coming up over and over almost every month. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You may not know those plans because you're not asking, you're not seeking, you're not knocking or not answering the door when I'm knocking. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to, you guys say it, prosper you. And he adds this little caveat, not only do I want to prosper you, I do not want to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. For me to believe anything else than that is a lie from the pit of hell. So some of us have to have our minds transformed right now in this moment. To believe anything other than what we just read is a lie from the pit of hell. God is not attacking you. He's not taking away things just to make you miserable. We just sang a song early in, in the first song. He gives and takes away. But still I will say, blessed be his name. Anything else other than that is a lie from the pit of hell. And to believe anything else would keep me from the blessings of God. So what we have to decide is to decide what I am still learning and 
and have decided that I'm going to take God at his word. I'm going to believe that. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And you know what? Since I've started to believe that, I have less fear, less anxiety, and less worry. And God's so cool that when he rips things out, he replaces them with things. And now I have more peace, I have more joy, and more confidence, and more trust. Less fear, less anxiety, less worry, more peace, more joy, more confidence, more trust. I hope that's what you want. So let him rip it out of you this morning when it comes to the area of your finances. He has plans to prosper you, not to harm you. So, sooner or later in your notes, we all have to decide for ourselves what we believe about God. Will the foundation of what we believe be based on what other people say, or will it be based on what God himself says? We have to decide this. And I hope you make a decision today, once and for all. Will the foundation of what I believe be based on what other people say or what God himself says? After all, wasn't this the question posed to Eve in the Garden of Eden? Isn't this the question that brought about the fall of man? Eve. Eve. Who are you going to trust? Me or God? Eve, come on, think about it. Does God really have your best interest in mind? The Bible says that the serpent said, Did God really say? Eve, you can't believe or trust God. He's keeping you from things. He's keeping you from the fun of getting high and having sex before marriage and getting drunk. He's keeping you from fun. Don't put your money in that plate because then you won't be able to afford this and you won't be able to afford that. Who are you going to trust? Me or God? By the way, how did that lack of trust work out for Adam, for Eve, and for us. How did that work out? Disastrous. My point is this. Since the beginning of time, the enemy has been whispering into people's ears, trying to get them to doubt and distrust the Word of God. And in your notes, one of the most difficult areas for any of us to learn to trust God is in our finances. This is the one, one of the most difficult areas for any of us to learn to trust God. To the point where we don't even want the preacher to talk about it, even though it's in the Word of God. And even though it's the thing that Jesus talked about the most, we don't want our pastor talking about it. Don't you tell me and make me feel guilty about my money that I earned. But you know what? I'm going to stand before God someday, and he's going to go, Mark, did you talk about money? Did you talk about sex? Did you talk about disobedience and a lack of trust? Because it's in there. Did you teach my children so that they wouldn't be lost in the area of their finances, so that I could bless them? What did you do? Now, he's going to know, obviously. You know what's interesting about our finances is we will listen to a lot of other voices 
but we have a hard time trusting God and taking Him at His word. But boy, do we listen to a lot of other people. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab a black Bible in front of you under the chair. Hopefully you can find one. It's page 348. 348 in the black Bibles. If you have trouble finding 1 Kings, it's right before 2 Kings. I'm good. I know right where the books of the Bible are. <laughs> this story is amazing. If you're not reading your Bible, you are missing out on a lot of fun. Amazing stories in the Bible. Way back in 1 Kings. As you'll see in a minute, we're going to jump into the cha- to a chapter in the life of the prophet Elijah. For those of you who don't know Elijah... Elijah means the Lord is my God. And that'll make more sense here in a minute when we get into this story. Elijah was a prophet and a miracle worker. And the mission that he was sent on by God was to oppose the worship of Baal and defend the worship of God. After many, many years of evil kings who worshiped Baal, instead of sending another king or another priest to lead Israel to try to fix them, which was the normal thing to do. The normal thing was to get to appoint another king or send in a priest. At a moment of great crisis, God sends in a prophet instead, and his name is Elijah. And Elijah's arriving on the scene, and there's a lot of crisis. There's a lot of bad things going on. One of the kings actually took, and I don't remember who it was, it might have actually been Manasseh, actually took the idol of Baal and put it into the house of God. Into the, into the tent, the tabernacle. Can you imagine that? God, so imagine, Elijah's coming in at this very critical moment. A lot of problems are going on. And God sends in Elijah to declare a drought on the land, on the nation, for, that's going to last for several years. Wow, what an assignment. Hey, go in to these people who are already frantic and worrying and full of anxiety and fear and tell them now that it's not going to rain for a long time. Do you know why God told Elijah to do that to this nation, to say this? It was a judgment from God on a nation who had turned to idolatry. Let me repeat that because I want you to think about our nation and I want you to think about your own personal life and I want you to think about your finances. It was a judgment from God on a nation who turned to idolatry. Now, idolatry is the worship of idols, or it's an extreme admiration, love, or reverence for something or someone. In Christianity, it basically means this, the worship of something or someone other than God. I want you to get this before we go into the text, before we go into the story. Remember last week? Blessing if you obey, the Bible says. Curse if you disobey. Rain from heaven if you obey, drought if you disobey. Some of us may be in a financial drought right now that is due to our own disobedience to, the, to God's word. We may be. It may be why. And here's what's amazing with what's about to happen when I studied this out. Baal was not only considered a fertility god. Check this out. Baal was also considered the weather god. 
He was literally the Lord considered by the people, the Lord of the rain and clouds. Hmm. That's interesting. Wait a minute. God is sending God into a nation who's been praying to Baal for years to bless them for rain, with rain. And the first thing out of his mouth is going to be, um, hey guys, uh, in case you forgot, the Lord, you know, the one that's not just a statue, the God of Israel, who by the way lives, the one you've been disobeying for years, and by the way, the one who is actually in charge of making it rain. He's pretty ticked off at you guys. So he's just going to shut the spigot off for a while. Now, why? Why do you think God is doing this? What do you think God is up to? Any ideas? He's trying to prove to you, even today, which God can be trusted. And it's not the God of your company or your boss. It's not the God of that. Reading the Bible is so much fun. Watch this story. 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. Say this 30 times. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. Say that 30 times. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve... There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Whose word? Elijah's word. It will not rain until I tell it to rain. That's very important. In your notes, Elijah had already settled the question in his life that I hope that you will finally settle in your own life after today. The question is, who will you serve? Who will you obey? We have to settle it in order to walk in a life of peace, in a life of power, and a life of blessing. Who will you serve and who will you obey? Will you be as determined as Elijah was to serve and obey the Lord his God? Listen, here's the point. Elijah has already chosen sides. What did it say? The Lord God of Israel whom I serve. What side are you on today? And please don't say, well, pastor, when it comes to my money, I'm still on the fence. The enemy owns the fence. You have to choose what side you're on today. Who are you going to trust? Eve, Eve, come on. God's ridiculous. Can't eat of one tree. Who are you going to trust? Eat. Your eyes will be open. You will see as God sees. Well, who wouldn't want that? Not me, by the way. I wouldn't want to see what God sees. Verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. Now, why would Elijah have to leave and hide after giving this prophecy? Perhaps for several reasons. Here's some of the reasons that I came up. And they're pretty big. 
One reason that he may have fled is he may have already decided to give this word really quick and run like a little schoolgirl out of town because Jezebel, one of the queens, was on a mission to kill every prophet and she was killing them. That may be true, but if you think about what we just read together, what did Elijah just tell them that was going to happen? What did he just tell them that was going to happen? No rain for years. And who had the authority to turn the spigot back on? Elijah himself. Now, a couple of months of drought, eh, we'll be fine. But years of drought? I'm guessing at some point a farmer is going to go, where's that Elijah? I want to wring his neck. We're going to die. And he has the authority to make it rain? You see, there was no way for Elijah to stick around after just declaring this horrible disaster. It was necessary for him to leave. It would have been impossible for him to live among the very people who were going to live under this horrible burden of a drought of this magnitude. His life would not have been safe. The other thought that I found was this, and this is really interesting. His disappearance from the scene, from the drought, would cause the Israelites to be left alone to examine themselves and face their sins. In other words, they would only have two people to cry out to, God or Baal. The weather God or the weather God? Just a thought. And you know what's really cool when you read Scripture and you actually study it instead of just reading it as an assignment? God is perfect in all of His ways. And in the middle of this story, where did He tell Elijah to go? What kind of ravine? What's the ravine called, I mean? Kareth. Do you know what Kareth means? Separation. So not only was he separating himself, God used the very name of a ravine to say, I need to separate you. Just, just a fact that I wanted to point out, which is really cool when you study out the words of the Bible. Careth means separation. God goes on in verse 4. You will drink from the book, brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never had to rely on some ravens to bring me food. But it sure had felt like that at times. In your notes, this is a glimpse of Jehovah Jireh. Do you know what Jehovah Jireh means? My provider. God will provide. Jehovah Jireh is one of the names of God. Not the names of Baal. Not a name of Baal. The name of God. Jehovah Jireh. My provider. So, God promises Elijah here that he will take care of him. What does Elijah do? What does he do in the next verse? Go ahead and put it up, Richard. So he did what the Lord told him to do. He was completely obedient, which is a key. Ding, 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 ding. You want ravens to bring you food? Be obedient. Verse 5, so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. What just happened? God kept his word to Elijah. 
God proved that he could be trusted. So much so that he provided for Elijah in the exact way that he said he would do. But then, just as it is with your life, just as it is in the life of a mature Christian, and even in the life of a pastor, prophet, minister, whatever, what happened? In verse 7, circumstances changed. Just like in your life. Things are good, money's flowing, boom, the brook dries up. All of a sudden, all these bills, all of a sudden you lose your job. Everything dries up, and you don't know how you're going to make it. Verse 7, sometime later, the brook dried up, even on the prophet of God, because there had no, been no rain in the land. So what is this saying? We never know what life is going to throw at us. And we may freak out, panic, worry, and stress. In fact, I think for a lot of Christians today, when things don't pan out exactly the way they want it to, your faith is changed. Is that, would, would you agree? We lose our faith. We lose our hope. And we, all we have left then is fear and worry and anxiety and stress. And then health problems. But what about God? What about God? Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Oh, God's still there. He's with Elijah. He's caring for his every need. He never changes with our circumstances. We may, but he doesn't. And he says, go at once, in verse 9, to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed. Wow, God is still in charge. He's still caring. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Still faithful to supply all of our needs. Nothing has changed about God. Are you getting this? What did Elijah do next? Verse 10. He went. Still obedient. Not wavering in his faith in God. But what if, the, what if there's not a widow there when I get there, God? What if I tithe and I can't pay my electric bill? How can I tithe first? I got to pay my bills and then figure out if I have enough left over. God says, go, do it. Have faith that I will provide. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, guess what? Boom. A widow was there gathering sticks. Wow. We serve an awesome God. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I might have a drink? Eh, that's not a big deal. Go get a cup. I've already drawn the water. Boom, give you a drink. But as she was leaving, he said, Wait, 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 wait. And please bring me a piece of bread. That's not asking much, just a piece of bread. So the story takes on another character. The widow is now introduced to our story this morning. And up till now, we've been focused on Elijah and his complete faith and trust in God. Now our focus shifts to the widow of Zarephath. So just in case you can't relate to a prophet and the faith that Elijah has, maybe you can relate to this woman's faith. A normal woman trying to raise a child all by herself. Let's see what God does in and through her life that he wants to do in your life this morning. The widow woman responds to Elijah and explains to him how bad her situation is. You'll probably hear your own voice in what she says. So tune into this closely. Verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives, 
She replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. Listen to what she says. I'm going to go gather a couple sticks and take them home. I'm going to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat this and then die. In other words, I don't have what you're asking for. These are very hard days for us. How can I possibly help you? I can't even get help for myself or my son. And then Elijah gets to the root of the issue with this woman. Elijah said to her, do not be, you say it, afraid. That's what most of us are. When it comes to our finances, fear rules our hearts. And that's why some of us did not tithe this morning. Because fear rules your heart. You don't trust God. Oh, pastor, you don't understand my situation. I don't have to know your situation. All I have to know is your God. And he will supply all your needs. You see in your notes, in your notes, when we fail to trust God, all we have left is fear. All we have left is fear. In fact, in your notes, fear and anxiety are evidence of a complete lack of trust in God and his word. Everyone say this with me. Fear and anxiety. Ready? Fear and anxiety are evidence of a complete... This is really bad. I want you with me on this. Ready? Fear and anxiety are evidence of a complete lack of trust in God and His Word. That was practice for another thing we're going to say in a minute. You need to know that this morning. That's a hard truth, but it's the truth nonetheless. Did you know that over 110 times in one way or another, the Bible says, do not fear, or it says, do not be afraid? Amen. How many times do we have to hear this to get it? Elijah goes on in verse 13. Go home and do as you have said. Go ahead, make the meal, be ready. But first, this is so huge. But first, take care of me. But first, tithe to me. And then, you see, most of us never get to the then part of walking with God. We don't ever see the then. We don't ever see the if. We don't ever see the so that. Those are the key words in the Bible that are so huge. We don't ever get to the then because we are too afraid to put God first. Wow, this story is so huge for us to receive blessing and favor from God. But first, he says, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have, from what you have, and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. So God is opening the door of blessing for this poor woman. She's poor. She has one more meal and she's going to die. I'm wondering, will she walk into this door or will she go, I can't trust God? In your notes, God tests the widow just like he tests us. He tests the widow by asking her to put the prophet of God in his needs ahead of her own. Now in your notes, why would God ask her to do that? I don't want Richard to put it up because I want you to think about this. Why would God ask her to do that? You don't have to say anything. I just want you to think of this. Why would God ask her to put his needs ahead of her own? Here's the answer. 
It's a fact, Jack. God rewards faith and obedience. This is the, what we're going to say together. So you can answer it. I'm going to say the question and you're going to answer it out loud together in unison. I don't know who's going to lead it. Why would God ask the widow to put Elijah's need ahead of her own? Get it. If you have to get it up here first, if it's already up here, let it sink into your heart, 18 inches from your head to your heart. Believe it. It's the truth. Anything else is a lie from the pit of hell. Friday night, if you're, or Wednesday night, if you're missing Wednesday night, we're going through the book of John, and uh, before we went into the book of John, we, start, we were talking about this, and one of the questions I had was this, but I, I'm... I, I'm, I was a little worried that maybe some of you thought I was speaking out of both sides of my mouth, which is basically I'm contradicting myself. So we started out by saying there's nothing you can do to receive the favor of God. There's nothing you can do. And then last week we said you must be obedient to, get to receive the favor of God. I hope you understand what obedience really is. And Angel really put it into perspective for us on Wednesday night. Obedience, she said, is a posture with God. Obedience is a place that you put yourself to say, I'll do whatever you ask. See, it's not the things that you do for him when he asks you. It's the fact that you're in a place where you'll say, I'll do anything for you. That's the obedience that he rewards. It's not the actual act that you did. It's the fact that you made yourself available 24 hours a day. Okay, so I'm not talking about out of both sides of my mouth. Obedience is a posture that you take. Verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Remember what we started out with. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to believe? What your enemy says or what God says? We have to make that decision. This is what the God of Israel says. Here's the important question. Who are you going to listen to? The jar of flour, it goes on to say, will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. That's going to be key for something I'm going to say in a minute. Verse 15, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. What's that called? Obedience. So there was food. You can go home. Sermon's over. Jerry giggles every time I say that because he cannot wait to get out of here. He's already thinking about what he's having for lunch. That's it. She went and did as Elijah had told her. God was speaking through Elijah to her, gave her a word from the Lord, and there was food every day. Not only for her and her family, but for Elijah as well. For the jar of flour was not used up. Huh, I wonder who said that. And the jug of oil did not run dry. Hmm, I wonder who said that would happen. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. And according to chapter 18, verse 1, we find out exactly how many days God fed this woman and her family and Elijah. The oil and flour lasted, according to chapter 18, verse 1, for three years. That's how long it didn't rain. Do you know how many meals that adds up to? 
3,285 meals God provided for this woman. And then it started raining. She didn't need God to provide anymore. Well, he still provided the rain, but you know what I mean. 3,285 meals. The choice that this woman had was die of starvation or trust the word of God through Elijah the prophet. That's the choice we have. Listen, you and I have to decide for ourselves. I can't decide it for you. Your husband or wife cannot decide it for you. We have to decide for ourselves if and when we are going to trust God to provide for us, just as he did for Elijah and just as he did for the widow from the town of Zarephath. Do you know that about 400 years before Jesus came onto the scene, God challenged his people over their lack of trust and faith in his ability to provide for them? Turn with me to Malachi chapter 3, page 950 in the Black Bibles. Malachi chapter 3. It's the last book of the Old Testament. It's right before Matthew. Now, most of you know exactly the passage I'm heading to. It's a very popular one when it comes to obedience and giving. Wherever you are with this topic of your money and giving it to God, just ask God to open your heart and, and, keep a, and give you a teachable spirit because we're supposed to be growing in our faith. Don't feel bad if you have a lack of trust in this area. God is challenging you today to rise up in your faith when it comes to your finances. We're not browbeating you. We're just showing you the truth of a lack of trust in this area that almost all of us in this room have. So don't feel like you're alone. Malachi 3, 6 through 10, starting with verse 6. Wow. What a neat way to start this topic out. I, the Lord, do not change. So you descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Thank God you don't change, Lord, because I would be destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. This is what the Lord's saying to you today when it comes to your finances. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how do we return, Lord? And he responds, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And I answer, in your tithes and offerings. And because of that, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. You know, that's the only time God tells you to test him. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you will not have enough bank accounts to store it. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Even if you don't believe it, start saying it. Come on, let's amen this. This is amazing. This is what I want so I can bless other people. I don't want it for myself. I want it so I can give it back out. I think that's the godly bank account that he's talking about. You can't give it away fast enough. It just keeps coming in. We need to get this. In order for our families to be blessed, we need to get this. In order for our church to be blessed, we need to get this. The issue is 
Will God's people choose to trust him and release the floodgates of blessings? Or will they distrust him and be put under a curse? Will God's people place their faith in his word, which is demonstrated, by the way, by their obedience? Or will they reveal their lack of trust in him, which is demonstrated by their rebellion and lack of obedience? Remember from last week, God only blesses obedience. God only blesses that which he wants more of. He doesn't need your money. He wants your obedience. And when we fall short of obedience, and we know what the Bible says about tithing, we do, and giving and special offerings, we do. And even given to somebody when he speaks to you to give them to pay for their groceries in a grocery store. And we ignore him. When we fall short of that, we fall under a curse. I'm sorry. It's not my idea. I can't put that curse on you. Do we realize that financial blessing is based on the same principle and standard as any other kind of blessing? And just as God tested the widow through Elijah, he tests us in this area. In your notes. And just as God promised to abundantly provide for the widow and her son, he also promises to abundantly provide for all who obey by bringing in the whole tithe and offering. Let me repeat that. Just as God abundantly provided for the widow and her son and Elijah, he also promises to abundantly provide for all who obey by bringing in the whole tithe and offering. Remember, first, obey me first, then you will be taken care of. Listen, God is not interested in being tipped. He doesn't want what is left over from your paycheck. He wants the first fruits. First, then. Take care of me first, then take care of your family. He wants you to stop giving him that crumpled up $5 bill in the corner of your pocket. And he wants you to start to plan to be intentional about tithing before anything else. Trust, faith, first, then. He believes in his own promise so much that he's willing to go out on a limb and say to you, if you don't believe me, test me and watch what happens. He's going out on a limb. He believes in it so much. Test me in it and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heavens and blessings on you so much so that you won't have enough storehouses to store it. Now, here's what we do. We walk away from a message like this and, well, I tithe today, so I'm feeling pretty good about myself. But it is the first time I've tithed in a long time. So I'm going to wait and see what God's going to do. And I'm not going to do anything until he blesses me. That's the wrong heart motivation, folks. It's from a posture of obedience. We do it because we want to please God, not because we're waiting for the results. And here's what happens. If I tithe for two weeks straight and I don't see any results, Pastor Mark lied to me and God lied to me. You don't sow and reap in the same season. It may not come right away. And it may not even be in the form of money. Okay, so be careful with this. Don't barter with God. 
Because all, all of your money is his to begin with. None of it's really yours. Just be careful not to put a barter and say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start today. But if I don't see results in two weeks, I'm done. Listen, we all have to choose today who we're going to serve in this area and whose authority we're going to submit to. You can't serve two masters. The Bible says you can't serve God and money. In exchange for one meal and her obedience, she gained 3,285 meals. Listen, folks, doesn't that make you wonder what God has in store for you? Doesn't that make you wonder? I want to know. I want to be faithful. I want to know what, what are you going to bless me with? Financial blessing is available, and it's only one decision away. Here's the bottom line to today's message. Ready? Put them to the test. What else do you have to lose? Some of you didn't tithe because you don't have money. Why don't you put, put what you have in your purse or in your wallet in today? Put them to the test. What else do you have to lose? It's not working out your way. What else do you have to lose to try it? You've been trying it your way and it's not working out. You're still not able to pay your bills. You're still in debt. This is where we make a spiritual decision. It's, this is between you and God. The only thing that we look at is if you've just begun a relationship with God, we want to send you something to help you with that. We're not real good at that yet, but we're going to get better at that. But we want to know who, who asked God into their heart for the first time. And that's the first box. To begin a relationship with Jesus by trusting Him with my life. And basically today, because of the topic of finances, you're going to ask God to forgive you for allowing the enemy to cause you to doubt and not trust Him. Not just in the area of finances, but in all of the areas of your life. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's when you surrender your will to His. Father, forgive me for my past. I want to come into your family. Thank you for dying for me and forgiving me for my sins. I want to trust you. I want to stop doubting you. Maybe you just walked away from the Lord and it's box number two and you just want to renew your relationship. Maybe it's you asking God to forgive you for being afraid and ask Him to give you the faith and courage to take Him at His word. Or maybe it's box three or four. You just have to ask yourself, do I need to ask God to reveal to myself my anxiety or lack of trust? Maybe I need to figure out where that anxiety and lack of trust is coming from and then confess it. Give it to God. Give your fear and anxiety to God today when it comes to the area of finances or any area really. And maybe it's the last one to decide today to stop believing the lies of the enemy and begin to live a life of financial obedience and blessing. I don't know if I'm right in saying this, but at some point in my life, I convinced myself that God was not going to bless me financially until I got to a point where I could bless other people. If I just hoard it for myself, I don't believe he's going to bless me. That's just my opinion. It's not biblical. But I want to have a giving heart, and I believe that's the person God wants to pour out financial blessing on. Someone who knows that not to hoard it for themselves, and they use it to build the kingdom, right? So listen closely one more time. This is the third time. God doesn't need your money. He wants your obedience. This isn't a plea from me to get more tithes from you because I want to raise. This is, not, this is just a teaching on obedience 
in your finances. I'm not unhappy with our giving right now. Last week it was amazing. So this isn't coming from a, please, 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 or the church is going to close. That's not where this is coming. I may have to come to you someday but like that, but it's not today. Today we're just talking about a life that God blesses. My prayer for you is to have and secure the favor of God in your life by being obedient with your finances. That's all. So that you will have so much blessing that you won't know what to do with it. God only blesses that which he wants more of. And today, it's your trust and obedience with your, I use that loosely, your money. Next week, we're going to learn another truth. You're not going to want to miss it. We're going to start talking about the church next week. Let's pray. Guard our hearts, Lord. The pastor was not preaching to anyone today. This is one of those truths in the Word of God that our human hearts really, really struggle with. In the name of Jesus, help everyone listening to this message today receive it, believe it, and start living it. That we can trust you, Jehovah Jireh, to provide all of our needs if we simply just put you first. And you know, God, you're so cool. You could have asked us for 90% and made us live on 10. But you've only asked us to start out with 10%, one apple, and we get to do whatever we want with the other nine. Now, if we're, we're for followers of Christ, we're going to ask you what to do with the other nine, but you leave that into our hands to do whatever we want. You're only asking for one apple, and we get the rest. Thank you. Thank you that you do not ask too much of us, and forgive us for thinking that it is way too much of what you're asking. Help us to grasp this, Lord. To be obedient to you in the area of our money so that we can be so blessed that we can bless other people. How much fun would that be to go around downtown Dubois handing out money because we have so much? Blessing businesses that are about to fail. Blessing a single mom whose car broke down with a new used car or a brand new car. Blessing family members who are just struggling and need a leg up until a job opens up. Can you imagine a life like that? That's all God is saying. Can you imagine? That's the life I want you to live. But you have to step into it. You have to make a decision today. I am no longer going to worry about my finances. I'm going to be diligent and be a good steward and work and pay bills. But I'm going to put God first. And I'm going to stay out of debt. And I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to be a good steward. But I'm going to put him first. And watch him bless me. In Jesus' name, amen. I really hope today, I always end with, I love you guys because I really mean that. I do. But I really hope today that you believe me. Because we just talked about money. That I love you. Do you love me? All right, cool. God bless you.